You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. G. Campbell Morgan, who was pastor at uh, Westminster Chapel, said he would never preach uh, out of a book of the Bible that he did not read it 50 times first. And so out of that, he said it just began to fall apart. You could see the sections. You could see how it was connected. And so for these last three Sundays, Mike has led us. Now, next Sunday, you get to at least go to chapter, uh, you get to at least go to verse five. So, uh, and probably a little more. We're delighted to have the pastor and the first lady from Mount Hilliard with us today. And Pastor Joe is going to come at the end of this service and he's going to share. And I believe some of your folks are here as well. So we're, we, we feel like your family, uh, welcome. Welcome to your second home. Several years ago, uh, a nationally known pastor for almost 20 years, nationally known, very popular, uh, nationally known writer, author, uh, counselor, convention speaker, um, conference speaker, pastor by the name of Joshua Harris, uh, put out a, a note to everyone that his marriage had come to an end. And then on Instagram, he wrote these words, I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith, in regard to my faith in Jesus Christ. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. It's the exact phrase that the New Testament uses for those who walk away or fall away from the faith. Joshua Harris says, I am not a Christian. Now that's exactly what Jude is talking about and Joshua Harris is one of a string of pastors who have done this over the last several years and that's just a microcosm of what's going on in the church at large. Those that are leaving the church, many of those that are leaving the church are those that are falling away. Now, Jude writes about that. That's where we are. If you've got your copy of God's Word, you remember I shared with you that 1 Peter, that we just were in for a period of time, 1 Peter was writing because Christians were suffering persecution from outside the church. Uh, their neighbors, their family, the communities that they lived in. Um, and then the, the government at Rome began to persecute Christians and it just was increasing more and more. Well, they all write Peter and they say, hey, we, we evidently have never been saved or this wouldn't be happening to us. Or we were saved and we've lost our salvation. And you remember that Peter comes and Peter says, no, listen, let me tell you, you're saved. You can't lose your salvation. And beyond that, he says, what you do in the midst of this persecution is you stay faithful to Jesus Christ. You live out the gospel in front of a world that is watching you, that's looking at you. Now, let me just show you something that uh, in the early morning hours this morning, I began to think about. First and second Peter, first, second, third John, Jude, all come before the book of Revelation. And yet, in, in all of these uh, epistles, First Peter, he's calling them, remain faithful to Christ. You put your faith in Christ, you stay, remain, uh, you stay faithful to Jesus Christ, remain in the faith, live that out in your life every single day. Second Peter comes to begin to deal with the apostates that are in the church 
1 John begins to deal with docetism. Docetism uh, was a belief that said uh, Jesus seemed like he was uh, human, but he really was not. He was a phantom. He was a ghost. He was a specter. And uh, it looked like he was suffering on the cross, and it looked like he died on the cross, uh, but he really did not. He was just putting on an act because you cannot kill a spirit. Well, John is writing against the docetism uh, toward the end of the New Testament, and he is talking about those who have come into the church. That's where Jude is. Now the problem is not outside the church. The problem is inside the church, and it's this problem of, uh, of, uh, of uh, apostasy, of falling away from the faith, of turning away from the Word of God, of turning away. By the way, let me tell you something. Every heretical belief... Every cult, every aberrant um, take on Christianity will always, always, always end up back at Jesus Christ and saying something about Christ uh, that he is not divine or he is not human or that he didn't pay the sacrifice or that he didn't die or that he didn't rise. Liberalism says that, that Jesus Christ just did not rise. He rose in our hearts is what the New Testament means. But he did not rise physically. Well, all of that, you understand, now is coming into the church. First John, John writes about that, and he says, listen, let me tell you, what our eyes have seen, what our ears have heard, what our hands have handled. We saw him after the resurrection, and we put our hands on him. He was not a spirit. He was an actual resurrected person, the Son of God. Well, that's, that's what John said. Second John is doing the same thing. He's still combating this apostasy in the church. Third John, he comes and he, um, he, he applauds, he congratulates, he encourages those who are holding to the faith. And then you come to Jude, and Jude is dealing with this apostasy. If there is a sure sign leading up to what the book of Revelation talks about in the end days, it is a great falling away from those who have claimed to be believers in Christ. Now, you want to know, you say, you know, preacher, are you saying we're living in the last days? Well, if we're not, we're missing a real good opportunity. <laughs> and I don't know of any sign anywhere that is more evident than the mass falling away uh, from the gospel of Jesus Christ and to Jesus Christ himself. Now, what was happening was that these apostates, these false teachers were coming into the churches that Jude was writing to, and Jude writes to them, and he says, listen, let me tell you, this is a deception, and that deception is brought about by a distraction. They've come in, and they're distracting you. Let me tell you something. A distractive faith puts a church and a Christian in a serious position. And you say, well, now what's distracting us? Good Lord, what's not distracting us? Politics distracts us from what we ought to be doing. We've got more people more passionate about politics than they are about Jesus Christ in our day. That's a, just don't amen me. I don't care. It's the truth. Listen, We've got people that are distracted on that. We've got people that are distracted with sexual 
issues. We've got people that are distracted with the Supreme Court. We've got people that are distracted off on this side with sports. We've got people that are distracted with schedules. Every trend, every fad, everything that is in vogue has people in the church running after it to grab it, to pull it in the church so that we will be appealing to the world. Let me tell you something. The church is appalling to the world. I'm not here to appeal to the world. I'm here to see the world get saved. That's what we're here for. Now, watch. All of this is there. And I've already shared with you this, these distractions, all these things. I, I wish, I started thinking through this the other night. I wish I'd have kept a running journal of some kind of all the things that have run through the church since Jesus Christ called me to preach when I was a freshman in college. Everything from the charismatic movement to everything on earth. And listen, I've got charismatic friends. I love them. There's a lot of charismatics going to be in heaven. A lot of Baptists not. Well, you know, just, just, let me, just let me tell you, there's one thing after the another. And the problem is this, is we watch too much of the world. And we have now brought so much of it into the, the, the church and into our lives that we honestly have forgotten what it means to be the church. So Jude comes, and let me show you. I've got about four points, and I've got to do this quickly now. So y'all listen faster than what you're doing. Number one, I want you to look at the distraction of infiltration. He's talking about these that come in, and they're going to distract and they do it uh, by this deception. Verse 4 is as far as we'll get today. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Now let me just stop right there because he's talking about this distraction of infiltration. You don't have false teachers that walk into the church with a sign around their neck that says, I am a false teacher. You don't have people walk into the church with a sign around their neck that says, I am here so I can follow my own agenda. Or a sign that says, I am here to change this church's agenda for my agenda. People don't walk into the church that way. Uh, they come in and it is almost deceptive in the way they come in. Listen to how he says it. For certain people or persons have crept in unnoticed. Uh, we didn't know this about them when they came in. We didn't pay attention to this. That, those two words, certain persons there, is anthropoi in the Greek. Anthropology comes from it. It's uh, the study of man. It's generic. It doesn't mean just men. It means men and women. It's a generic term that covers both men and women. Uh, apostasy doesn't belong just to one or the other. It belongs to both. There are certain men that get, come into the church with this kind of idea. There are certain women that come into the church with this idea. And he says what they've done is this. They have crept in. Now, that word crept in is interesting because... It begins with a little prefix, para, which means alongside. And then the root of the word, duno, is the word that means set. They come in and they sit down alongside. That's how they come into the fellowship. Now listen to me carefully. They come into a fellowship. 
These are very charismatic people in that they have a bubbly personality, a pleasing personality, a good personality. Uh, They are affiable. They're easy to get along with. They come in. They get close to us. They uh, saddle up next to us. They begin to build a relationship with us. We go out to dinner with them. We have them over to dinner at our house. We socialize. We're in Sunday school or life groups together. I'm sorry, that old stuff just comes up, doesn't it? Sometimes they're in life groups together. We're in church. We sit in church. Our families do things together. And we build this deep abiding relationship with these people, never knowing or understanding that there is an ulterior motive that is there. And once the agenda begins to become seen, once they begin to unfold what the agenda is, we have built such a close relationship with them that we cannot dare say no to those people. We wouldn't dare say, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want them to be upset. I don't want to be unkind. We, you know, we have such a closeness. We are so close with one another. We, we feel this for them. They feel this for us. They've done this for us. We've done that for them. And when this agenda begins to be unfolded in front of us, and we know something's not right here, Uh, This isn't exactly the way things have been. This isn't exactly what God's word is saying. We have gotten so close to them that we would rather offend and ignore the word of God than we had the other person that we've built a relationship with. Amen goes right there. I got me an amen corner today, (laughs) by golly. Some of y'all need to wake up and listen to this. Here it is. There we are. They infiltrate through this deception. They come in. They're wonderful people. But then you come to the second thing, and it is the distraction of perversion. Now listen to what he says. For certain persons have crept into, uh, in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons. Now you say, well, wait a minute. I don't have any ungodly friends. Well, no. Do you, do you know what 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us? It tells us this. It says Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That word disguises is a word that literally means to change the scheme of something. Uh, he changes who he is on the outside. Nobody walks in and says, hey, I'm ungodly. I want to join your church. They all come in with this wonderful personality and this great magnetism and they seem as if they are very committed people to Christ. And they may in their heart think that they are. But he comes and he says this, they come in and they turn. Are you there looking at it? Persons who turn the grace. The word turn there literally is the word meta to theme. Meta means with, to theme means uh, to place. And what they do is they place with grace their idea. They've turned grace now. Grace now is turned to mean what they mean about it and not what the word of God means. And so they turn God's grace into something else. And what they do is this. They have turned the grace of our God. Well, what have they turned it into? Licentiousness. 
Now, the word licentiousness, when we think about it, we almost always associate that with sexual sins. But let me tell you, the word licentious can be any kind of sin or vice or failing or flaw or fault. Somebody can be licentious. They can be greedy. They can be liars. They can be full of cupidity, full of greed. They can be people who covet. They want something that somebody else has. They desire it. They hunger for it. They have a passion for it. It can be any kind of sin. However, it is closely associated with sexual sin. Now, here is what they were doing. They were saying essentially this. You can live any kind of lifestyle you want to live and it is covered by the grace of God. Now you say, well now, preacher, are you sure? What do you mean am I sure? (laughs) I wouldn't be up here saying it if I was not sure. Look with me at Romans chapter 5. Paul has to deal with this. He comes in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 and he says this, the law came in so that transgression would increase. Paul is saying that, listen, when I finally got a hold of the law and I read the law, I realized I was doing things that were sinful and unpleasing to God that I really had never thought of before. That I just thought was, you know, it was just life. But the law points out that it's sin. So where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, listen to this. He says, because I I was ignorant of this, I did not know God's grace covers my sin. So that as sin reigned in death, so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. That is, I I did not know the law. I did not pay attention to the law. I was living in sin, but grace came and saved me. And now I've been saved from eternal death and I have eternal life. Now watch chapter 6, verse 1. What they were saying. They were saying, well, shoot fire, Paul. Let's just go out there and sin so grace can abound. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Hey, let's just go sin more and more. That means more and more grace. Paul comes in verse 2, and in seminary, we, in seminary Greek class, we call this Paul's cuss word. We don't know what it means. We just know it's negative. And the only way I could, I'd have to scream at you to give you the force, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to scream at you. You think I'm screaming already, but I'm not. Um, I'd have to scream this to give you the force with which Paul said this. The word is meganoyato. We don't know what that is. The may means it's a negative. He was saying, no way. He was saying, have you lost your ever-loving mind? He was saying, no, stop it. You don't sin so grace abounds. You have been changed by grace so that you do not want to sin. You've got all the grace. You don't need to sin to get more grace. My Lord, have mercy. You've got all the grace you need right now. It's going to save you for eternity. And so here are these that have slipped into the church. And what they are doing is this. They're essentially saying that any kind of lifestyle you want to live is covered by the grace of God. And you say, when a preacher, we're, we're not saying that. Evangelical churches everywhere are saying that. 
And here is the confusion that we've made. And I don't want to get off on this, but I want to tell you something. There is a difference. Listen to me, especially if you are 40 or younger. There is a difference between grace and fairness. Everything in our culture today says, oh, we just want to be fair. We just want to be fair. We just want to be fair. Listen, I don't want fairness. If I got fairness, if God gave me what was fair for me, I would have never gotten Jesus on the cross. That's grace. If I got what was fair coming to me, I'd go to hell right now. I don't want fair. I want grace. I'm going to, brother. Let me tell you something. The devil's purpose behind every false teacher is to always legitimize sin. That lifestyle is fine. Your living with that person is okay. Uh, your marriage to the same sex is all right. Uh, you identify as whatever you want to identify. Although God created only two genders, that's great. Grace covers it all. No, it doesn't. Let me tell you when grace covers it all. When you repent. When you acknowledge God is right God is sovereign, God's word is right, and what I've dreamed up is not right, but it's sin. Under the word of God. Listen, let me tell you something. Satan wants us to believe that morality really doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Number three, let me give you the third thing, and it's this. It is the distraction of defection. Now, when you come to the place, now I want you just to listen to me for a moment. Watch the progression of this. We've got somebody that comes in, we begin to build relationship with. They begin to expose their heart and share with us all these kind of ideas that all these things are okay. This is our, when you, you can lie when you need to lie. You can steal when you need to steal. You can do whatever, you can live that kind of immoral lifestyle. Listen, God made you that way. God loves you. If God loves you, God going to give his grace to you. God's grace covers all of that. Listen, you begin to listen to that and you begin to buy into some of that. And let me tell you, the third thing is eventually going to happen. And we've got a lot of people that are right at this point. And I hate to say it, and I don't say it to hurt anybody's feelings, but we've got a lot of grandparents who are okaying sin for their grandchildren and a lot of parents who are embracing the sin of their, their children because they just want to be their friends. God did not give you a child so you could be their friend. You are their parent. You're their parent. And my daddy reminded me, he said, son, let me tell you something. This is not a democracy in this house. He said, it's a totalitarian regime, and I run it. And he did. He comes and he says this, listen. There is this distraction of defection. I get so distracted by all of this new stuff, and I begin to embrace it. And when I do, it's going to lead to a defection. Now, what is the defection? Well, look at the last of verse 4. And deny our only despotes. Despot. I would say this morning, if you want a good picture of despot, look at Putin. Look at Vladimir, Vladimir Putin. Nobody's going to stop him from doing what he's going to do. Whatever it is he's going to do, nobody's going to stop him. He is a complete and total despot. 
He's as much a czar as any czar that ever ruled Russia. Same thing with Xi. Xi of China is a despot. And he's going to do whatever he wants to do in that country. That's what the word means. It means a sovereign ruler. Now, it's not negative uh, in this context, in the New Testament context. Only twice is Jesus called a despotes. It's once here, once in 2 Peter. He is our sovereign God. He is all ruler over our lives. And he is Lord. That's Adonai in the Hebrew. That means master. He is my master. He is my sovereign. He is my God. But now look at this. They have denied. Now they didn't come in and deny Jesus Christ existed. They didn't deny that Jesus Christ was again. They didn't deny that stuff. What they simply denied was this. He has no authority over me. Look over at verse 8 in Jude. Right there because it tells you right there. Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority. We have those that are in the church that say, hey, listen, nobody has authority over me. The the word, you give me that word, preacher, you up there preaching hard this morning. That word doesn't have any authority over me. Jesus doesn't have any authority over me. I don't think what I'm doing is wrong. Well, that's why the Old Testament says, stop leaning on your own understanding. You ain't thinking right. You've got a fallen mind and a fallen judgment process. That's why you need grace and mercy. That's why you need the word of God to to straighten out your errant thinking. And so he comes and he says, here, listen, they come in and they deny the sovereignty of God. They deny the Lord being our master because they won't submit. I'm not submitting to that preacher. I'm not going to do whatever that crazy preacher said. I'm not doing what those deacons or elders say down there at that church. I'm not interested in doing any of that. I become my own authority. I become my own truth maker. And you say, well, that's not really going on in the church. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. I have read so many articles here recently of, uh, of those in the church who are no longer believing in the deity of Christ. They no longer believe or hold to that Jesus Christ was the Son of God in the flesh. God in the flesh. In fact, I read a Barner piece of research that said 48% of millennials, uh, only 48% of millennials believe in the deity of Christ. That is 52% do not believe in the deity of Christ. And we're talking about in the evangelical church. What in the world have we been preaching and teaching in this place? Jesus Christ is Lord. Period. You want a piece of good news? 55% of Gen X believe that Jesus Christ is divine. Thank God they didn't listen to their parents. 55% of Gen But listen, I want to know why 100% of us in the church today are questioning. And you say, well, nobody around here. Listen, I've had several people come up to me in the last two weeks and say, Pastor, I'm concerned about a person that's a dear friend of mine. I don't think they're here in the church, but a person who's a dear friend of mine who is questioning the deity of Christ. I want to tell you something. Every cult, every heresy goes to the issue of who Jesus Christ is. In fact, just listen to the word of God. Now, just listen to this. I want you to listen because the New Testament tells us what these days are going to be like. 
There's going to be the denial of God, 2 Timothy 3, 4 and 5. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, but they've denied its power. Avoid men such as these. Some of us need to go back and check our relationships. There's some people you don't need to be as close to as you are. Uh, number two, denial of Christ. First John 4, 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. The denial of Christ returns. Second Peter 3, 3 through 4. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Denial of faith, 1 Timothy 4.1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Denial of sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come. They will not endure sound doctrine. Wanting to have their ears tickled, preach to me what I want preached. You can find a church in this city that will do exactly that. There are a bunch of them. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss denial of the truth. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of many. He's talking about in the church. Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and denial of morals right here in Jude. Verse 18, it says this, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. Yes, it is okay for me to sin sexually because God's grace will cover it. You could say falling away in every one of those. Instead of denial, you could say falling away from this and that and the other. There is a falling away. I want you to listen to 2 John chapter 1, verse 9. Listen to this. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Now that's how, that, I'm, you know what I'm doing? I'm reading scripture. Now, we're all encouraged now. We'll just go. That's, that's about as tough and tight as you can get right there. Let me give you one last thing. Let me show you the surety of salvation. And I'm gonna show you the surety of salvation in what he says is going to happen to those who have fallen away. Now, let me go back and tell you that an apostate is someone who claims that they believe in Jesus Christ, but they have never really received him as Lord and Savior. It's kind of what you see talked about in Hebrews chapter 6. I started to take you there to those very troubling passages back in Hebrews chapter 6. And I believe it's the third warning uh, that he gives in that, uh, in that letter. Well, let me just do it. I'm turning there. So just listen to this. For in the case of those who have been once in light, they've tasted, they've heard, they've seen the gift They were partakers of the Holy Spirit. They've seen what the Spirit can do and how the Holy Spirit can convict and they have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age and then have fallen away. It's impossible to renew them again. Listen, let me tell you something. If you're really saved and you fall away, you lose your salvation, then there's nothing else that can save you. 
He's talking about apostates there. And apostates is somebody who thought they were saved, but have never been saved. I'm going to get letters this week, I know. What do you mean by this? Am I lost? Am I saved? Persevere, dear brother and sister. Persevere. You'll know. When you go down to the grave and you're still crying out, Jesus is my Savior, we'll know you were saved. (laughs) You know, I can't tell you anything else. But listen to what he says right here. He says, for certain persons who've crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. You see that word marked out? In the Greek, it's really the word, our word, program. It was written, the program was written before in eternity past. What's the program say? Everyone who thinks that they've trusted in Christ but never really gave their heart and their life to him, they are under condemnation. Judgment will fall on them. Now let me tell you what the word of God tells us. The word of God tells us this. It tells us, I give eternal life to them, his people. They will never perish. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Nobody's going to get you, not even the devil. For my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You have eternal security if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ. And all that I've preached to you this morning should never disturb you, but should give you shouting ground. And should be a warning for you to do two things. Let me give you these two things. And I'm going to beat the clock. Believe it or not. Number one, make sure your salvation. Go with me just a few pages over to 2 Peter right here. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you won't fall. You will not fall away. You keep there in the word of God, making sure of your calling and election, making sure of your calling and being chosen, making sure of your salvation. The second thing is this, grow in your salvation. Second Peter, I'm still there in second Peter, chapter three, verse 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on guard. So that you're not carried. That's what I'm doing. I am trying to teach you how to watch out for your spiritual life. I want you to know. I don't know what lies in the days ahead. What I do know is scary. I want you as a church to be on guard that you're not carried away by the era of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You stay there making sure of your salvation and you stay there making sure that you are growing in your salvation. I read a story this week of a little girl. She was 12 years old back in 2016. She lived in Rochester, New York. Her name was Lee. Her name was Lee Rodriguez uh, Espada. And uh, this 12-year-old little girl, she loved to run. She was looking forward to getting to middle school to run track and then track in high school and college. And she was always running. She had been practicing. And she had run one uh, 5K that's about 3.1 miles, isn't that right? She'd run one of those, finished in about 50, 55 minutes, and now she had signed up for another one with a family, and uh, they were going to run this 3K race 
uh, this 5K race, 3.1 miles. And uh, she was running late, got there late, uh, jumped out of the car, and uh, got into the crowd of people that were there in her, her home city of Rochester, New York. And she started off the race while her mother went to the finish line. And her mother went around to the finish line knowing she'll be here in about 50 minutes to an hour. And so she sat there. And she sat there past 50 minutes and she thought, well, I wonder, maybe she's running a little slow today. And then past an hour and she started to get a little concerned. Then an hour and a half and two hours and she was losing her mind like any mother would. She goes to the police. She tells the police, listen, my daughter was in this 5K race and we're looking for her. She should have been here an hour ago. We don't know where she is. We've got to find her. Well, you can imagine that's going on with the mother, what was happening with the little girl, Lee, 12 years of age. She runs that hour and she wonders, well, I don't see the finish line. She runs a second hour and she says, I, I don't understand what's going on. I don't see the finish line. And so she gets over close to another runner and she says, where is the finish line? And he tells her, oh, it's about 10 miles on up the road. And she had gotten in the wrong race. She'd gotten into the half marathon when she thought she was in the 5K. And the half marathon is what, 15 miles? Isn't that marathon 30 miles or something like that? she gotten into the half marathon. Now, I want you to listen to what this little girl said. She got to the finish line. Her mother was there. And her mother ran, grabbed her, fell on her, sobbing, crying, saying, what happened? She said, I started the race. It was harder than longer than I ever thought it would be but I'm going to finish the race. I want everyone under the sound of my voice that if I'm your pastor, I want you to finish the race. Now let's stand, congregation. You stand and bow your heads with me. There's some of you here that you may not even be in the race to begin with. You've never come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never put your faith and your trust in him. You do live by your own agenda. You do live by what you think is right and what is wrong. And this morning, I present Jesus to you, the one who died for you to give you eternal life. Not just to give you eternal life, but the one who can actually take away your sin and the stain of your sin and the guilt of your sin and puts his spirit in you to live the life that you were created to live. And so this morning, I come and I invite you, come to Jesus Christ. Come to Christ. Come to Jesus. Others of you that are visiting here, listen, you, you, God may be calling you to be a part of this fellowship. I invite you to come and be a part of this fellowship. I'll be standing here. You come, take my hand, tell me. I'm either coming to give my life to Christ or we want to be a part of this fellowship. Others of you may want to come and get at this altar. Some of you young people today, God is calling you. I keep confronting you with that, asking you this. Is Jesus calling you to full-time ministry? Is he tugging at your heart, calling you to come and surrender to full-time ministry? To serve him as a minister? As a missionary, as a pastor, I don't know what God's calling you to do. Come and answer the one who loves you enough that he not only died for you, but he rose from the dead as well. You come as Kirkwood plays.
Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.